I can't tell you how many babies that we see that most of the time their breastfeeding issue is just from a bad latch and just helping to fix the latch can make things go so much smoother and lead to a successful breastfeeding journey that lasts as long as you want to rather than when you're forced to. Welcome back to the Essentially You podcast. I am your host, Dr. Marisa Snyder, and I'm here to help you rock your hormones and feel great in your body so that you can reclaim more energy, vitality, and joy and become the CEO of your health. Let's jump on in. On December 11th, 2020, 23 hours after Kingston was born, a hospital lactation specialist was requested to visit us by the hospital because my colostrum, which is known as liquid gold, had not really come in. And he was approaching the critical 24-hour mark. For most of that day, that first day of Kingston's life, before her visit, I was straining to hand express one or two mils every hour, which seemed like barely anything. Now, based on the hospital's criteria, 24 hours was the critical time when he needed nourishment. And I was exhausted and freaked out that my supply wasn't coming in and that my son would starve. So the lactation specialist sat us down and told us in fewer words that we needed to step up our game for feeding him. He'd already lost weight, which I know was very normal. And he had borderline jaundice due to the bruise that he had on his little head from bumping into my pubic bone on the way out. Now, she was very, very clear. He needed to start consuming calories quickly. So she laid out a game plan for what we needed to do to feed our son. And I'll never forget how scared Alex and I felt in that conversation, which felt more like a lecture than anything else. And equally, I I felt so desperate. I was willing to do anything for my baby to thrive. Now, the protocol that she put us on immediately, like literally the second after she walked out that door, was the triple feeding protocol, which we would do for seven days straight until he surpassed his birth weight at his weekly check-in. Now, it involved feeding him every two hours, 24-7, and to ensure that we were moving in the right direction, the hospital had to stay an extra day to ensure he was gaining weight or at least maintaining his weight. So how the triple feeding protocol works, in case you'd never heard of it, is I would first breastfeed him for 10 minutes, then Alex would formula feed him because I wasn't making enough milk at the time, while I pumped for 10 minutes, and then we repeated this 12 times a day for seven days. Now, Kingston was on formula based on the hospital's requirements for 36 to 48 hours until my milk supply really came in on that second day. After that, we continued the triple feeding schedule with my breast milk. So basically, I breastfed him, then Alex fed him with previous pumped breast milk while I pumped again. Now, by day seven, I was so engorged with milk that I thought I had mastitis. My breasts were massive, red, and so painful, and they didn't calm down for another four to five days. Suffice it to say, the beginning of my breastfeeding journey, like so many women, was challenging, heart-wrenching, and had me feeling like a massive failure as a mama. It's the only time in my life where I felt completely disconnected from myself at times because I was so sleep-deprived and scared. Since Alex and I were both on the triple feeding schedule 24-7, neither of us slept more than 1.5 hours at a time that first week. I was crying daily and felt so tense and nervous about our one-week check-in. Physically and emotionally, it was probably one of the hardest weeks of my life. Now, looking back at the first week as a new mama and my breastfeeding journey, I wish I would have known more. More about my body, the different options that I had, so that I didn't feel so scared and helpless. Now, I am grateful for the triple feeding protocol, but I've always wondered if there was an easier, less stressful, less traumatic way to feed my baby without the feeling that I was losing my mind due to no sleep for most of those days. Now, in my pursuit for more information about breastfeeding, because I just feel like we could do so much better by women. And with that just need to want to support mamas across the globe, whether they're breastfeeding or not, I invited Dr. Stephanie Libs. Dr. Stephanie has been an amazing woman that I have personally turned to when Kingston was struggling to latch a little bit, even after this first seven days, right? Because latching is definitely a concern and there's a lot of reasons why a latch 
isn't happening. And it can be so discouraging for mamas because no one really tells us what to do when we have a latch concern. But Kingston was dealing with a latch, a slight latch issue, which was causing some gas from swallowing too much air during his feedings, which amazingly she corrected in no time. Now, Dr. Stephanie is a multifaceted practitioner with an incredible approach to get to the root cause of latch concerns and any breastfeeding concerns and to really help us as mamas understand how to be better supported in the breastfeeding journey, which is a huge journey that we simply don't get enough credit for. Now, although this is a little bit of a different topic on the show, I am very excited to dive into this very crucial conversation with Dr. Stephanie. But before I do, I want to quickly sing her praises. Dr. Stephanie Libs is a pediatric and prenatal chiropractor in San Diego. After her own breastfeeding struggles, along with many families in her office struggling, she quickly became the breastfeeding doc. She is internationally board certified as a lactation consultant. She has been published in magazines, has submitted case studies for peer review, and is the host of continuing education workshops. As she is a chiro, a mama, all the things, and she shows up with full intention and it's all about holistic care. And you're going to be able to find her at cafealifesandiego.com or drstephanielibs.com. We'll have those links in the show notes. Let's welcome her to the show. Welcome to the Essentially You podcast, Dr. Stephanie Libs. How are you doing today, girl? I'm so good. I'm so excited. Thank you for having me. Oh my goodness. It is my pleasure. We are going to be talking about something, girl, I just did right before <laughs> I jumped on this podcast interview because that or my boobs were going to be leaking, which has happened a lot on these podcast interviews over the last several months. We are talking, you are my guru. You have been such a major part in my breastfeeding journey, really helping to support Kingston and I. You are who I tell to go to if women are having struggles. And I'll tell you, I, you know, one of the things that I was most concerned with, I wasn't even concerned about birthing my child. I was like, one way or the other, most likely I will turn that over in 24 hours or so, give or take. Then I've got a year plus, many, many years of just tending to my child, breastfeeding my baby, doing all the things. And honestly, the breastfeeding horror stories that I heard. I mean, I I honestly, I didn't hear about a single successful breastfeeding story before I had the baby. It was mostly all the scary stuff. And so what we're talking about today is breastfeeding, the politics around breastfeeding, and the long-term health outcomes. Although I will say, and I know you are as equally a proponent of this, which is I am fed as best. I get it. Like I know that it doesn't always work out for everybody. I was just in New York and I was meeting with some other best friend, mama mamas, that I hadn't had real intimate conversations with for a while. And I was amazed to hear that each and every one of them struggled severely with breastfeeding and ultimately had to either co-formula feed their baby or just eventually had just gave up and moved over to formula. And these are amazing health influencers. And it's so funny. I just would have assumed that they had rocked the breastfeeding journey. And so just a lot of ease and grace to all the mamas out there who are trying to make that work. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think we've talked before about like, you know, when it comes to like using medication or formula or having a medicated birth, you know, you and I come from such a holistic world. And so for me, the norm is all the natural stuff, but I know that's not the norm for everybody. And it's certainly not like a judgment either way. Cause of course, formula can be life-saving, but very often we're led down these paths by our providers and we're not given full information or full support or informed consent. And very often we're given just straight up bad information that's inaccurate half the time. And so we're kind of led down these paths that we might not have gone down, but the support just isn't there. So I definitely think, like you said, there's like a lot of grace to everybody because so often it's not our fault. Mm -hmm. You know, it's the system. No, absolutely. I remember, so I was not breastfed because my mom was really, really young when she had me. I think she was barely 19. I think she had just turned 19. I, she was 18 when I was born. She turned 19 the next month. Wow. <laughs> she wasn't breastfed. None of, my, none of her, her brothers or herself. 
she grew up at a time where formula was was the only thing on the market. And, you know, it was it was the highest delivery. And my grandparents basically told my mom, you know, that's what you do. And my mom, just being such a young adult, like a, a little girl herself, really, honestly, just out of high school, the idea of breastfeeding just, I think, freaked her out, grossed her out, I think all the things. And so I, they tried to put me on milk. I, it failed miserably. I was allergic to milk and dairy. I'm just like so many babies are. And so they, and this was 1979, girl. You know, there, there was the technology was not that great. Right. <laughs> and I was put on soy. And my mom said every time I would be given my soy bottle, I would make the worst little face. And she said it broke her heart every single time she had to feed me because I hated it so much. And so she ended up breastfeeding my sister. <laughs> she felt so bad. <laughs> and when she told my mom, my grandmother, her mother, that she was going to do it, my grandmother and my grandfather were like, I can't believe you're going to breastfeed your child. Like they were so opposed to it. And she was like, yeah, did you see what Marisa went through? Like, did you see how awful that was? And so that so my sister got, I feel like all the things that my mom like just failed at or just felt like she failed at. <laughs> My sister got uh, the compensation. Right, right. <laughs> she got the redo. She got the major <laughs> the redo. <laughs> well, I think that's, you know, it's so interesting that you say the family perspective of it because, you know, one, a mentor of mine, um, Jeannie Ohm, she's a chiropractor who has since passed. She's amazing. She used to say we're genetically forgetting how to birth because birth has been so medicalized, especially in our country. And I think the same thing's happening to breastfeeding. We are genetically forgetting how to breastfeed and we don't see our moms do it. Our aunties, our sisters, our, you know, cousins, we don't see other people breastfeed because it's taboo. And, you know, there's a whole industry around like nursing products and like shirts that make sure you're covered when you breastfeed and breastfeeding covers that you put over yourself like a tent, you know, and it's like, you have to keep it so secret and taboo and nobody can see you. And I think that in itself does a, a huge disservice to us because it's making breastfeeding abnormal, you know, when really it's the biological norm, it's what all of us are meant to do, but we need more support for it. Mm. Can you share a little bit about your breastfeeding journey? And not only like not with your two beautiful children, but then also kind of what was the inspiration for you to become an international certified lactation specialist? Like what was a little bit about that beautiful journey for you? And I know that you have taken care of so many mamas. What are some of the biggest things that come up? Great question. So a little bit about my journey. So I started my oldest is almost five. I had planned a home birth with her and it was, you know, it's going to be a magical, easy home birth. It wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't, we went to the hospital and it was a very long labor and, you know, we had a medicated birth and it was fine, but breastfeeding was very difficult and it was really painful for the first couple weeks. And luckily I had midwives who were amazing and they were at my house every day and they really helped me get through it. And I know without that support, you know, I had mentioned to friends like how difficult it was and painful it was. And people just kind of shout suggestions like, we'll try a nipple shield. We'll pump and give a bottle, do this, do that. And had I listened to those things, I would have had a it would have led to more struggles. So luckily I had support. I had my midwives there every day helping me get through it and coming up with all these tips. And thank God for that, because that led us down a successful breastfeeding journey. And I breastfed her for three years. I also breastfed through a pregnancy and I tandem nursed for a year. So what that means for those that don't know is that I breastfed through the pregnancy, had my son, and then continued to breastfeed both of them for a year. And now I'm still breastfeeding my son. He's He'll be three in September. So I'll probably wean him then because it's a long time and I'm ready. You're like, I'm ready. <laughs> I'm ready to be done. It is five plus years now. I'm good. Right? Right? So I have, yes, exactly. I've been breastfeeding. You're going to get your boobs back, girl. <laughs> I need them back. <laughs> So that's really been my experience. My my second child was born at home, a much easier labor, and we were in bed breastfeeding within 
five minutes and um, it was easy from the start, I think, because I was already breastfeeding and just had more knowledge. So I do know that the birth process itself has a big impact on that first latch and that first latch really lays the foundation for your breastfeeding journey going forward. And that's a pattern I see so often in my practice. So what really led me down the road, so I've been a pediatric chiropractor my whole career, but I started to see a lot of babies with a lot of breastfeeding issues and just felt like I, I'm such a glutton for more education and information. So I was like, I just want to learn more how I can serve these babies better. So I had this one family that came in and they were like, like a plus patients. Like they were my ideal. They came in as a whole family. She was pregnant with her second baby. She came in a whole pregnancy and just came in for prevention and wellness. And there were no issues, but the whole family just wanted to get checked. I was like, great. She had a great birth and was breastfeeding the baby great. And everything was awesome. And I would, they came every week and they were just, you know, they were just awesome, really aware and conscious and health, health aware. So they were like perfect patients. She and I had become friends. And so like five months down the road, she calls me in tears and she says, I'm in so much pain. My nipples are cracked and bleeding. I want to stop. I cannot have her latch one more time. I'm in so much pain. I want to be done. And I was like, what? Everything was fine. What, what do you mean? Where did this come from? She's like, I don't know. It just slowly crept up on me and now I'm cracked and bleeding and it's awful. And so I said, come in right away. Let's check. Maybe there's something we missed. And so she came in and I checked the baby and the baby had a lip and a tongue tie, which I had missed. All her other providers had missed. I thought everything was fine. And so I stopped checking for it. So that was kind of my big lesson because it made me realize the breastfeeding journey is so dynamic, like it can change from minute to minute. And so that right there just sparked in me, okay, I'm going to check every baby every time. It doesn't matter if they say everything feels fine or it's going well. I'm just checking every baby every time, checking the oral structures, checking their latch, checking their cranial system and checking their nervous system and their spine. And so that's really what led to better outcomes in my office and what kind of led me to start teaching some of this stuff. But that is really what encouraged me to become a lactation consultant so that I could hopefully have more support and more answers for people because I can't tell you how many families have gone through this same situation and then they wean earlier than they would like or they switch to formula or switch to pumping and bottles, which is so much work. So that's, that's really kind of what led me down that road. Mm. I was thinking, you know, how, what's the average age that most mamas that you know, now not, not everyone in, in your practice is different. I have a feeling, but I would say on average, what is the average age that most mamas stop? What I'm hearing a lot from my friends and my people is six months. It's like, if you can make it six months, girl, you good. And, um, <laughs> Um, but I know, and, and in some other camps, I know like a year, right? And and before I even started this journey, like I thought that the end of my breastfeeding journey was going to be in December, which was going to be a year. I was like, I'm going for a year. And my, my best friends who are like trying to plan a big old celebration for me, you know, with a bunch, like a bunch of, you know, champagne, all those kind of things, like things you can't have yet for then. But then as now I just hit the six month mark. And absolutely how dynamic it is, you know, in this journey. And I'll be honest with you, girl, I was like the one constant in my life right now is feeding my child. That is that is the one that's everything I do, what I wear, how I wear it, where I go, all the things, what I take with me. You know, all of it is revolves around feeding Kingston. That in my whole life, like Alex wants us to do something, we gotta feed that baby. You know, so like <laughs> that's so true. <laughs> that's so true. It's the one constant. <laughs> I love that you say you have to plan what you wear because it's so true. Oh my, I can't tell you how many places I've gone. I'm like, oh, I would really like to wear this dress, but I can't pop a boob out of it. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I and so I we were just in New York. I was telling you this, and um, and I wore some pretty structured, some pretty sexy dresses. I ain't gonna lie, girl. I was where I was dressed, and I was like, you know what? I was just like, I'm just gonna unzip these. I'm just gonna unzip yeah. my dress. And so everywhere we went, I had a couple different dresses on that we went, and I was just like, Alex, come here, come unzip my dress. <laughs> Get me out of this thing. Get me out of this thing so I can pop a pepper arm out. <laughs> so half my dress is like falling off of me. I'm like, yes. you know, every people get to see both boobies, not just one. Yeah. Like, yeah. you're it. welcome. You're welcome. It's no different than you were at the beach in the bikini. So exactly. No different. <laughs> So given well, all that, that dynamic adventure, I'm just going to call it the adventure, yeah. you know, the grand yeah. adventure. Um, sure. What are you normally seeing? You're, are you seeing six yeah. months? Okay. So uh, it's really varied. I mean, I have some people who have breastfed up to like six years old um, and some that only a couple weeks. So I see a very wide range, but I will say as far as like U.S. standards, about 84% of all infants are initially breastfed. By three months, that number goes down to about 54% are breastfed. And then at six months, it goes down to about 34%. So there are huge like incremental drops at these different points in time. But I think most people probably make it, at least for what I see, most people probably make to six months. And then a lot of people like to get to a year. The World Health Organization says we should go at least two years minimum. I really think that that is what our digestive system is designed for. Breast milk really should be the primary food for the first year of life. That's that's really what we're designed for as well. And they say food before one is just for fun. Yeah. And speak to me about that too. Yeah. So I really like to do the baby led weaning kind of format of introducing foods to, to babies. And so I like to wait until babies are solidly sitting up on their own unassisted, which usually happens closer to seven months. Seven months is also the time where we have enough iron stores to kind of keep us, keep the baby balanced until then. So we don't want to introduce iron too early because that'll disrupt the gut and the bacteria in the gut. So if we wait till about closer to seven months, that balance is a little a little more primed for it. Now, if you have a baby early, then you have to adjust for the, their gestational age. So like if you had a baby a month early, then at seven months, they're still kind of a six month old, if that makes sense. So again, I like to wait till about seven months, their digestive system, their nervous system, everything seems to be a little more ready by then. And then the way we always did it was we would give one food at a time and we would give it as its own solid whole form. So we would start with like steamed broccoli. And so we would just have kind of like long so that they could hold the stock of the broccoli and then like chew on the floret. We would do that kind of thing. Lots of steamed veggies, carrots, because that way it's soft enough, but it's firm enough that they can hold it and they can control it as well. We never spoon fed because I like the baby led weaning format of how it really leaves the baby in control of how much they eat, which is the same with breastfeeding. Like they're really in control of how much they take down. So I like to continue that going because I don't know about you, but I grew up very like, <laughs> very controlled by food. You know, it was very, we had a, grew up in a very modest household where you don't waste food and you finish what's on your plate, regardless of how you feel. So I, I definitely didn't want to instill that for my kiddos. So I definitely try my best to let them lead the way and eat if they're hungry and stop if they're not, and just respect their boundaries on that. And the same with breastfeeding, because I see so many moms with their timer out. They set their timer when they're breastfeeding. And really, like we don't feed on the clock. It's not like you have 15 minutes to feed and then you're done. Whether you're hungry or not, you're going to keep eating if you're hungry. So when it comes to feeding our kids, I really like to let them lead the way. Some babies are super efficient and they'll feed super quick. And some need a much longer sitting. But our bodies are so magical and they're designed so perfectly like babies will find their rhythm, you know, they'll take exactly what they need and our breast milk changes. So our breast milk changes minute to minute. The composition of it is living and dynamic and it changes based on the baby's saliva. 
So our nipple is a two-way valve, right? It picks up what's in their saliva and then releases the exact nutrients that they need in that moment, which is so magical. And that's one of those things. Formula can't do that. Formula is a static composition. It doesn't change. So our breast milk changes based on the baby's immune system, what they've been exposed to, stress levels, like everything affects what is in our breast milk. So it's pretty magical. Mm -hmm. Oh, I I just am so, so fascinated. I know when I finally had a conversation with my mom's mom, my grandmother, about breastfeeding my baby, I know how she felt about it. I already knew how she felt about all of it because I knew how she felt about it with my mom. And I always loved the opportunity to my grandma to be like, oh, why are you doing that? And then I just lay out all, I think I spent like 45 minutes on the phone just talking her ear off about the amazing benefits behind breastfeeding and the science behind it. And she was, I'm sure she was just rolling her eyes by the time I was done with my rendition, my little breastfeeding soapbox. (laughs) You know, I think that's so important though, because if anybody maybe didn't get the opportunity to breastfeed, like they might be feeling like they got that same feedback from their family, you know, of like, well, my mom didn't do it and, and my grandma didn't do it. Nobody did it back then. So now it's kind of our opportunity to educate them and then educate future generations as well, because they don't really know the benefits of breastfeeding. It wasn't, it wasn't, you know, my mom, I think breastfed for three months and then put us on formula. And that was like a long time back then. So it's just interesting because it's like, we can't really turn to that generation for support if they didn't have that experience of breastfeeding. So it's almost like our job now to educate them so that we can change the future. Absolutely. Educating everybody. Honestly, I think there's a lot of misconceptions and a lot of misunderstandings. I'm not going to lie. I've really anchored to you in the steps towards baby-led weaning because I am getting so much flack and I'm getting so much pressure to start feeding Kingston solids. He is six months old. It is time to feed that baby some solids. And ever, especially family members, especially mamas in my life, they're just like, look at it. He's, he's looking at, I'm like, he looks and grabs at everything. That right. is what he does. He's a baby. He's going to, he was trying to eat that remote. <laughs> he had the remote in his mouth earlier today. I was like, he eats everything. Yes. <laughs> if it's red or orange, he's going to put it in his mouth. Yeah. I always like to joke with people. Like, I mean, if you gave the baby crack, you'd probably like that too. Yeah. But it's not healthy. Like don't give it yet. Yeah. (laughs) I went over, I actually, I had your checklist out for all the things. And I was like, until Kingston meets all of these checklist things, mama, we're not going to move him over to solids. We're not going to, and then we're going to be doing, and she doesn't even know what baby led weaning is. She's like, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm just like, don't worry about it. And and I was like, and what I'm not giving him is a bunch of rice cereal, let me tell you. And so, but that was the thing. That was the thing to do. That is the thing to do. Then there's a big myth with, you know, I know that this, there was a myth that if you fed your baby, you know, rice cereal or solids, that they'll, there's a better chance of them sleeping through the night. And, you know, just a lot of things. And so I've had to, I said, listen, you know, Kingston's going to get breast breast milk. My commitment is a year and I know I'm going to go over that. I know that at this point. And, and I said, and anything else this year is a big bonus, you know, and, and we're going to start introducing, but I'm in no hurry. He doesn't seem like he's in any hurry and right. I'm not in any hurry, right. you know? And so, but it's been fascinating. I, I'm having to constantly like talk my family down this whole need to feed this baby solid track. Yeah. Which is interesting because I feel like they, you know, it's like they want to help. They want to be involved and they want to help nourish this child, which I think is a beautiful thing. But it it needs to come with a little education for them, right? Because I feel like like I'm an anti-feminist feminist. <laughs> because There's actually this book by Kimberly Seals Allers called The Big Letdown. It is such a good book, but she talks all about how feminism has really let us down when it comes to breastfeeding. And I know it sounds very anti-feminist to say, but I feel like instead of supporting universal childcare or supporting women going back to work, what if we supported moms and had some sort of paid family leave that was 
for a year and kept moms home with their babies so that they could breastfeed their babies. Because we know that that would lead to long-term healthier outcomes and less chronic diseases as adults, the longer a baby's breastfed. But I'd probably get burned at the stake. <laughs> but well, that's, I love that. <laughs> it's well, it's I mean, and I get it. It's such a hard it's gosh, and you know, and, and being being that mama who, you know, went back to luckily I work out of you know, I work out of my house. I'm literally in my bedroom right now. I literally heard Kingston two seconds ago, you know what I'm saying? Like I know he's out there. And I, you know, I was literally breastfeeding him before I got on this on this interview, as I mentioned earlier. And so, but there have definitely been blocks of time where I've been stuck. And so I do pump too. I breastfeed as much as possible, but we have pumped milk just cover my booty just in case. Cause I don't ever want the baby to be starving. I'm also not trying to upset my 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 podcast audio people. Like I'm trying to keep everything. And so we always have backup just in case he gets, you know, I don't want to prevent him from not being able to eat because mama's not finished up with her meeting for 15 minutes, you know? And so I um I always want him to do what he, he wants to do, what he needs to do. I know that there's that, it's such a hard balance to be at. So I, I, I leave mamas should be able to do whatever, anything and everything that they want, but really have that flexibility. And for some, Stephanie, I know I was reading an article and I don't think I realized how much of a, how much of a, some, for some women, how much of a privilege it is to be able to breastfeed and, and some women don't get paid to pump, you know, totally. either. Yes. I came back to work after both my babies at 11 and 12 weeks. And so I had to pump working, but luckily I worked for myself and I was able to build out my schedule in a way that was conducive to pumping, but not everybody has that ability. I mean, I know some people go back to work two, three weeks after they have their baby because they have no other choice. And so that's a huge barrier to breastfeeding because if you have to go back to work so soon, your hormones are still out of whack. They're still trying to balance. And then on top of that, you're not able to pump or express or get enough breaks. And that's the thing. Everybody's so different. So we can't, we can't always schedule out when we need to pump. I mean, our, our breasts are going to make milk when they're going to make milk. And that's a risky thing too, because if you're back to work and you're super engorged, but you can't take a break for another hour, now you're at risk of mastitis and a major infection and potentially being hospitalized. And for some women, that's really, really dangerous, you know? So there are so many barriers that we face. And so I, I think the whole system needs a revamp. <laughs> you know, I think luckily what I am seeing is with COVID and so many people working from home, it is, it, it's allowing a lot of women to continue to breastfeed longer than they might have otherwise because they're at home and maybe they have a nanny at home or maybe they're just working with their baby with them. So they're able to breastfeed on demand. Um, they don't really have to bother with a pump, which I was so ready to throw my pump away. <laughs> I could not stand pumping. It was like so annoying to me. And so, you know, even just pumping itself is like such a time consuming headache, you know, and any mom is a busy mom. Let's be real. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like mm -hmm. gonna Any woman. Any woman. Any yeah. woman, but especially moms. Absolutely. Yeah. 100%. No, I, and yeah. I always feel like, cause I, I pump a couple, sometimes, I mean, we were in, when we're on vacation, I don't pump so much, right? Like I, I am exclusively with the baby, but when I'm back home, I'm usually pumping a couple times, two or three times a day. And then doing, trying to get breastfeeding in as much as possible. But sometimes I just miss, I miss the timing, you know, like it is what it is. And I always just feel like I'm just, I'm just strapped up to this device. And it just, it's so mind numbing to be, I try to remember to, to turn on a podcast or something like that. But oh my goodness, I just, all my hours of pumping every week, it's just, it is crazy. But I also am so grateful, you know, that I can do it too. So I always got to remind myself that I get to do it, not that I have to do it. That's true. It's hard. It is. It's, it's, it's hard to like reconcile. I know that there are other barriers too. I, I feel like definitely work is definitely a huge barrier. What we're told, you know, the advice that we're given is a huge barrier. And again, maybe even our babies, their anatomy, like they just need some adjusting. Like they're, they're, they're not, their latch isn't correct, or they've got a tie or all the different things that you work on specifically to get babies back on track. And so are there any bar other barriers that we should just be, we should just be thinking about, be mindful as of, because I know a lot of mamas or a lot of potential mamas listen to this show about to step into this journey. Yeah. 
So two, I want to mention one you already hit on, which was, you know, if, if they're having an issue with their latch, which is always great to have a lactation consultant, look at your latch, but I also highly recommend a pediatric chiropractor to assess it as well and make sure that the cranial structures are all functioning like they should so that there's no interference to the nervous system because pediatric chiropractors check for the balance in the spine. And the work that I do and have been training other chiropractors to do is to check the palate, so to check inside the mouth for not only ties, but also for the shape of the of the mouth because the cranial bones are going to form the shape of the mouth as well. And so if there's any imbalance there, that's going to affect latch. So very often I'll see a baby and they are having latching issues and it's not a tie, but it's more the balance and the shape of the palate itself. So we can do a lot of correction there. Okay. The other barrier that is a big one that goes very often unnoticed is something as simple as IV fluids in labor. And I know that seems really benign, like, oh, it's just an IV bag you get in a drip in your arm. And pretty much everybody who gives birth in a hospital has an IV, no big deal. Well, that IV fluid is going to waterlog the baby. So it's going to plump them up while they're in you. And we know the more fluid you get in labor, the more plumped up the baby will be. In addition to that, yourself as the birthing person are going to be plumped up as well. And it's going to really fill up the breasts with that IV fluid. So now you have a hard, firm breast that's not engorged with milk, but it's pumped up with fluid. So it's harder for the baby to latch onto that because it's tight and taut and not soft and supple for the nipple to get far back into the mouth, which is ideal. And then we have a waterlogged baby. So then they take baby's weight at birth and typically babies will lose a little bit of weight in the first couple of days as your milk is coming in, because your milk takes a couple of days to come in usually. So they're just getting drops of colostrum at first, which is ideal and helps line the gut and get their immune system going. But what happens so often is babies are born. Mom has an IV in labor. They take baby's weight at birth. And then after a day or two, baby loses too much weight. And now the hospital staff is scared and they need to, they're telling you now you have to supplement with formula or donor milk if you're lucky. And so now we're interrupting this whole process of having baby latch onto the breast and working at it and practicing it. And they're saying baby's at risk and that you need to supplement and they need to gain weight before you can go home. Now we're introducing formula before your milk is even in. And it's like, once the milk comes in, baby would have probably gained plenty of weight, all the weight that they needed. In addition to in that first 24 hours, they're peeing out a lot of that IV fluid that they absorb in labor. So we have a huge misconception of baby's weight and weight loss and you know their ability to thrive. So that's something that I see a lot is that baby loses too much weight, in that first 24, 48 hours, mom's breasts are just harder to latch onto. So now baby's not getting weight. The latch is painful. Mom's struggling. So somebody either comes in and offers a nipple shield half the time with little to no instruction. And then they start giving the baby a bottle, not telling mom she needs to pump in the meantime. So now supply is affected. And so it's this big sort of mess. Yeah, it's a big mess. And then as a mom, I mean, coming out of a birth, which half the time, maybe more than half the time didn't go the way you want, you know, so often we, we see that too. Now you have this birth, which was hard. And now you have breastfeeding, which we think is just supposed to be easy and magical and baby just does it. And it's not, it's hard too. (laughs) So we're kind of set up to fail. And there's just not enough support and there's not enough education for providers as well. So it's just a whole big mess. That's why I really think that like, if you didn't have the opportunity to breastfeed as you wanted to, or if there was trouble, like it probably wasn't your fault. Oh, it feels so good to hear. I bet so many moms are like, oh, girl, I, I know you, I know my story and, and I, it's very, I very got, everyone got plumped up. And then Kingston hit hit my pelvic bone on the way out. So he had a nice little bruise on his head. And so he was heading towards getting jaundice. And they you know, they freaked us out. I went into a triple feeding schedule every two hours. 
with Alex and it was just, it was insanity and it was so crazy. I'll never forget the feeling of failing, feeling like I failed my child. Like I will never forget. It was so traumatic. I was just crying and crying every, you know, and I was so afraid he was going to get dehydrated. I was so afraid he was going to have brain damage because there was, you know, and so I was just so freaked out. So yeah, we went on a triple feeding schedule for I think 48 hours or maybe 72 hours. And I, by the time I was done with that, I literally thought I had lost, lost my mind. I was so like just exhausted. And I know it, no, in hindsight, I just didn't know. And so, and they just scared the crap out of me that I, um, but now I know so different and I wish, you know, and, and clearly he's okay and everything's great and all that. But yeah, it was, it was very, very, like, I would say this one of the most traumatic 72 hours of my life out of pregnant, out of delivery. Yes. Oh, that's so hard. It's so hard. And that's, it's just such a common, it's such a common story. You know what I mean? And it's like, it, it never gets old for me to hear it. Cause every time I hear that situation, it breaks my heart, you know, to have these first couple days with your brand new baby to be that hard is just so, so tragic, you know? It should be like these happiest days when we finally meet our baby, you know, that we've been caring for so long. And then it just becomes this disaster that you feel like you're never going to succeed. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm so glad you've given us just telling us all it's not our fault. Like this is a system that is not necessarily rigged in our favor. And then it, it tends to be it gets put all on us to kind of fix it. And talk to me about, you know, one of the things I wanted to, sh- we talk specifically, I can't believe we are almost, we're, girl, I know you got a hard stop. And so uh, really quickly, I think some of us, we just need to hear some of the, that, the, the positive outcomes that happen when we choose to go as long as we can. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, there are so many health outcomes that we know can be improved with breastfeeding. I should also preface that with really there, there are risks of formula feeding. And I think that it's important for us to know those risks. So things like brain health and things like ADD, ADHD, even our intestinal health, you know, there's a higher risk of things like necrotizing enterocolitis with formula feeding, which is basically like damage to the intestines. So, and all of these things can affect us later in life. So my, I guess, kind of takeaway is that if you were formula fed or you have a child that was formula fed, it's certainly not too late. There's just so much that you can do to turn that around later. And I think that's where so much of your stuff comes in, Marisa, because there's so much that diet and lifestyle can turn those things around later. I can't tell you how many babies that we see that most of the time their breastfeeding issue is just from a bad latch and just helping to fix the latch can make things go so much smoother and lead to a successful breastfeeding journey that lasts as long as you want to rather than when you're forced to. I love that. And I do know, I think I read something on your Instagram, which we'll talk about in a second, like just going to your Instagram. I just love it. Is that (laughs) babies who breastfeed, I don't know for how long, have higher IQs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So as far as I know with that stat, the longer the baby is breastfed, the, the more accurate that statement is. It's just determined by the length of breastfeeding and not formula feeding. So we know that like a formula fed baby might have a lower IQ. It doesn't of course mean that they will have a lower IQ. That's different for everybody, but it just is more of a benefit to breastfeed. I was going to say it just speaks to the benefits of of breastfeeding, that if we can do it, if our circumstances allow us, do everything we can to make it happen. And that has definitely been my commitment that no matter what, hands down, I will do whatever it takes to continue this journey for for Kingston because I know I know that and and I think you know it's and and the, that tied to how we eat you know how I eat I, everything again everything I do revolves around feeding that baby and it's what I even put into my body and all my supplementation and everything that we do to to love up on the baby but I'm really excited that we're having this conversation cuz I just feel like I have more ammunition to take to my family more i mean i have my own but i just was like i just interviewed 
one of the best breastfeeding experts out there. And she's like, listen, you know, Here's food before that year is just a good old time. You know, it's not, right. ne- not necessity. <laughs> so true. So true. And then, okay. So I want, I want people to come find you. So where I know that you've got, you've got a course, but that is for, for practitioners already. And I know that you're going to be creating a breastfeeding course, but in the meantime, so we can know where to go is when that information's out there and available, where do we go? The best place would be my Instagram, Dr. Steph Libs. So D-R-S-T-E-P-H-L-I-B-S. That's me on Instagram. And so I pretty much post everything there, any new courses that are coming out. I do have a free download on my office website, which is cafeoflifesandiego.com. And there's a free download on there on storage guidelines. So how to store your milk. So if you are a pumping mom, like I was, it'll tell you, you know, how long milk stays good out in the open and in the fridge and freezer. So that's kind of a nice handy little thing to pop on your fridge. And then I do have a course out for uh, really for chiropractors um, so that they can learn more of this work. I have had over a hundred chiropractors take the course already. And so I'll be creating a directory soon so that if you are a mom searching, you can find one of these chiropractors who's had this training. And then for moms who are breastfeeding or preparing to breastfeed, I will have a course coming out probably later this summer all about breastfeeding and hopefully it'll be like having your own lactation consultant on your phone. (laughs) Yes. And if you are in the Southern California area, especially in the San Diego area, I promise anyone, even anyone in the California area, it's worth driving. It's even worth flying down to Stephanie's office. Her office is a dream. Babies galore, everyone being taken (laughs) care of. There's so much amazing energy. Like it's one of my favorite places to be every single week. Kingston's been getting adjusted and his, I mean, I, I, we had some latch issues out, you know, in a couple months in he, we had latch issues way from the get go, but it was a couple months in that it really noticed it. And it was his, he was definitely his soft palate and his cranial. So we got everything locked and loaded because he, we were noticing he just had a lot of, like a little bit of colicky. He was gassy, lots of burping, and he was just sucking in air. And so Stephanie got him just taken care of. I can't imagine not having Kingston there every single week just to get checked because he's using his head as a ramming rod these days. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, uh, is your is your is your atlas out? Is your upper cervical complex out? And so I just love it. I really want to emphasize if you can get your babies into pediatric chiropractic care, yes. But if you're in the San Diego, Southern California, even California area or wherever it's drivable to San Diego, Cafe of Life is the office and it is just absolutely incredible. So I just wanted to do a shout out for that as well, Steph. Thank you so much. I just love you and your family. You're just gorgeous. Oh, thanks, honey. (laughs) And thank you so much for coming on today. I loved our conversation and I really just hope so many of us as mamas and aunties and best friends and sisters, all of that, you know, as we have these conversations, I hope you can take what Stephanie said today and, and just share it, just shed light, you know, on, on what this journey could look like and the benefits and, and just getting real in the barriers and things that happen to us as mamas um, trying to navigate this beautiful world with our children. And so thank you, Steph, for helping us out here. Thank you so much. Hi, honey. See you soon. Okay. <laughs> Whoa. It is so important for us to understand the history of breastfeeding and why for decades, women were encouraged to formula feed their baby instead of breastfeeding. Now there's a good chance you weren't breastfed depending on when you grew up. I wasn't breastfed, nor was my mom. I was fed on a soy-based formula that I absolutely hated as a baby. That begun my nourishing journey. And let's be honest, breastfeeding still feels taboo in our culture and many women still don't feel comfortable or welcome to breastfeed in public. I even had my reservations around breastfeeding in public in the beginning because of the way society treats women who publicly breastfeed. One of the biggest constants in my daily life right now and for the past almost nine months is nourishing Kingston. It's practically a full-time job from 5 a.m. to 10 p.m. I'm either pumping or breastfeeding. And now we know that one full year of breastfeeding is almost the equivalent to a full-time job. Now, when we are out in public and Kingston gets hungry, best believe indoor, outdoor, it doesn't matter. Breastfeeding sessions are going down. Right in the middle of writing this up, I took a break to feed Kingston. 
Now, I hope that by sharing my breastfeeding journey today, the start of it and now what's going on with us today, that I help to be a part of the change that I wish to see in the world. I hope to help normalize breastfeeding so that we make it easier for mamas to seek out support when they are struggling and to not shame mamas for doing the best they can to feed their babies. If you are about to become a new mama or you know someone who's struggling with breastfeeding or is about to start breastfeeding, I highly recommend checking out Dr. Stephanie Libb's incredible guide on the must-have tips for breastfeeding. And if you're in Southern California, you definitely need to come check her out at the office in San Diego, California, because her office is like a happy, healthy baby wonderland. I love bringing Kingston to the chiropractic office to make sure everything is working properly for him. But most importantly, when she was helping us with his latch, that was so, so critical. He just felt better. He wasn't having as much gas. He was able to nurse more efficiently and easily. Like it just made all the difference for both he and I. Now I'm gonna have the links in the show notes for both of those things for episode 298. Now I wanna end this episode by sending love to all the mamas who breastfeed because it is not easy by any means, especially if your breastfeeding journey has not gone as you had planned. And I equally wanna send love to all the mamas who nourish through pumping, breastfeeding, and or using formula. Fed is always best, hence the start of my story. At the end of the day, fed was best for Kingston, even though that experience felt so traumatic. I want you to know that I see you and I honor your journey. And as always, thank you so much for listening into the Essentially You podcast. This show is about providing tools to rock your hormones and feel amazing in your body. If there is someone in your life that needs to hear this today, take a moment and screenshot this episode and send it to them or share on social. That way we can continue to spread the word about hormone literacy. Now, if you shared on social, definitely use the hashtag hormone literacy or hormone CEO. In the coming Friday episode this week, just a couple days, I'm sharing how I significantly boosted my metabolism by working out less, not more, and optimizing my blood sugar while in postpartum, which led me to lose 25 pounds this year since January. And the goal wasn't to necessarily do that. My goal was to just optimize my metabolism. The weight came off as a side effect. Also, this was a large part of my pregnancy weight, but I'm still excited to share this because I've learned so much in this journey that I can't wait to pass on to you. Until then, have an amazing week. Music.